hear me now? Yeah, brilliant. Um, so Stephen and I are just delighted to be here with you this morning. Um, Stephen and we go way back, but I'm not going to tell any stories because Stephen's given me that look, you know, so I'll not tell any stories, but it's just our privilege and pre pleasure. This is my first time at East Point, but I've heard so many amazing things about this fellowship, about your heart for worship, your heart for the community, and your heart for one another. So it's, it's our, our privilege and pleasure to be sharing with you this morning. So I'm going to tell you a secret, but last Monday, I had a big birthday, and no, don't guess, because you'll get it wrong, but it was 50. And I'm still really, really in denial about it. I mean, really, really in denial about it. But the sort of friends that I have mean that for the last couple of months, there have been odd things arriving in my letterbox from companies that up until now I haven't needed. But um, Stana Stairlifts have been trying to get me to buy into their company. There have been hearing aid things. And one particularly lovely friend actually bought me a packet of incontinence pads for my birthday. <laughs> You'll be glad to know I'm not using them this morning. But um, So yes, I'm in denial about my birthday, but my friends and family just think it's the best thing ever. But one of the jokes that keeps coming up is about my memory. Now, Stephen would say that my memory issues go way back. They're nothing to do with my age. In fact, he says it's to do with pregnancy brain. Now, put your hand up if you know what I'm talking about when I say I had pregnancy brain. Who knows what I'm talking about? Come on, don't be shy. Yes, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just me. So whenever I was expecting my first child, Josh, I had what they call pregnancy brain. For the gentlemen in the, in the congregation who don't know about this and the ladies who were not blessed with this condition, um, the pregnancy hormones just played havoc with my memory. And I would do stupid things like put cans of beans into the airing cupboard. I think there was one occasion, Stephen, where I put the car keys into the fridge. Yep. Yeah? I lost the remote control for three months and it, it was in the air, it was in the airing cupboard. Um, and as, okay, so Josh came along and I had two further children and they, they tried to tell me, Jillian, don't worry, it'll come back. Your memory will come back. But with two other successive pregnancies, oh my word, not good. And so I am one of those people who you will see in the Asda car park going like this trying to find my car. Who else does that? It's so embarrassing. Yeah. And then you realize 10 minutes later, actually, that you're driving Stephen's car and you're not even looking for the right color of car. Anybody else done that? And the other thing that I'm going to confess to is that one day, um, Stephen had taken me down to our local garage to get bread and milk and stuff. And he says, look, I'll park the car and, and you come out and find me. And I was coming out with my bags, went out to the black car and opened the door and looked in and it wasn't Stephen. <laughs> so um, I have bad memory. And the reason I want to talk to you about that is that I am like a lot of God's people when we come to think about the whole idea of spiritual memory. Now, when I talk about spiritual memory, really what I'm thinking about this morning is our ability to remember where we came from, where we are now, and then with that knowledge, that gives us the confidence and the assurance to know where our future lies. 
And God's people traditionally have had really bad spiritual memory. And it's a bad place to be because if you think of somebody who really does suffer from something perhaps like Alzheimer's, it's a terrifying place to be because those people who can't remember where they've been and where they are and they have no idea what the future holds. It gives them no grounding, no sense of where they should belong, and it leaves them feeling adrift and at sea. Uh, my mother had a vascular dementia, and, and it was terrifying for her, and I'm sure some of you will know people who are affected in that way. But with spiritual memory loss, the effects are exactly the same. If we can't remember what God has done for us and what he's doing currently, it leaves us unsure and uncertain about what the future will hold for us. And I want to encourage us this morning to think of some things that will help us to be able to improve our spiritual memory. I'm going to bring you to an Old Testament story this morning, and it's taken from 1 Samuel. But before we read it, I'm going to fill in the background. Now, the Philistines, goodies or baddies? Baddies, yeah, absolutely, right? So the Philistines were enemies of God's people. Actually, for those who are interested, they were the descendants of Noah's son, Ham. And they lived in the southwestern area of the Mediterranean, sort of between Gaza and Egypt. But they were a very warlike, strong people. And at the, t at the time in the Old Testament that we're going to look at this morning, they were very, very hard on God's people. They um, fought with them. There were rows and battles about land ownership and all those things, and it made it very difficult for God's people. And at one point in time, if you want to read the story when you go home, the Philistines started to come against God's people at a place called Ebenezer. And there was a terrible, terrible battle. The Philistines routed God's people. Nearly 4,000 people were killed. And it was, it was a terrible, terrible day. But it was about to get worse because God's people were not walking closely with their Heavenly Father at that point in time. Their hearts weren't turned towards him. But they had the bright idea that maybe because they were being beaten in battle, maybe what they should do is bring the Ark of the Covenant along because that was a symbol of God's presence and God's power. So with no thought of their heavenly father, they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the battle. And what happened initially was that the Philistines were terrified. But God's power and God's presence was not with them because their hearts were not towards them. And then things got really bad because the Philistines gathered in strength. They wiped out many, many, many more of God's people, almost 30,000 they killed Hophni and Phinehas, who were some, um, Samuel's sons, and then, sorry, Eli's sons. And then what they did was that they took the Ark of the Covenant and captured it. And for God's people, they lost so many men, and they even lost the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's glory, God's power, and God's presence with them. It was a terrible day. And what we're going to do now is fast forward the story to 20 years 
afterwards. And the story that we're going to read this morning is recorded in 1 Samuel and 7. If you've got your Bibles, um, by all means, read it with me. Or if you prefer to listen, that's fine too. I'm going to pick up the story today. Um, So we're in 1 Samuel 7, and I'm going to pick up the story just at verse 7. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted there and they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. And we will close the reading of God's word at that point. So here we have... I suppose if you like, if you think in terms of sporting terms, we have a rematch on this day, 20 years later, between the Israelites and the Philistines. But this time, the outcome was very, very, very different. What was the thing that made the difference? What's really clear from God's word that the thing that made the difference in the victory was the condition of the people's hearts towards their God. They confessed their sins. They worshipped him. They sought him. They bowed the knee. But have you ever thought, why is it? Why on earth should that battle take place at the same geographical point that it did 20 years ago? Why there? What's the point of that? See, God is really interested in the finest details of our lives. He's interested in the geography of our lives, the places, the people, the dates, the things that really matter to us. And for him to ordain that this battle would take place here shows us that he had something he wanted his people to learn. Now just think for a minute, if you were one of the few that survived the first battle when the Israelites were beaten, if you were one of those men, could you imagine how terrifying it would be to stand in the same geographical position with the Philistines coming, 
Can you imagine the flashbacks those guys would have, the fear rising up in them and the sense of doom? Today, I'm not going to get away from this. But God wanted to teach his people something very important, that with his help and subdued before him and walking with him, he can take the places of our worst defeats, our greatest shame, our greatest hurts, our most catastrophic failures. And when we are with him, he can turn those places into places of victory and delight and overcoming and healing. And I wonder this morning for some of you, um, are you looking ahead maybe in the next week or in the next few days to something that is really heavily on your heart and you're filled with fear because maybe it's something that resonates with your past. I want to encourage you this morning that when you walk with obedience, with your hand in God's hand, he can make those places of terror and fear and humiliation and defeat places of victory, places of a new start, places where we can move forward with hope and with joy and with expectation. There's a lovely verse in Deuteronomy that says this. It's taken from Deuteronomy 30 and verse 3. It says this. I'm going to read it from the message. God, your God, will restore everything you've lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places you were scattered. And that that promise is conditional on God's people coming back, bowing the knee, giving their hearts to him in supplication, saying, Lord, we're sorry. We worshipped idols. We followed our own hearts. We were stiff-necked. But whenever we bow the knee, God comes alongside us and says, okay, Let's go back and let me show you how, when you're walking with me, I can and I will give you the victory. The story's a funny one, and it's perhaps especially weird for us in our culture today, because God tells Samuel to do this weird thing where he raises this Ebenezer stone. Um, Ebenezer means the God of the help. Now, for us in Northern Ireland, we don't really, especially in the Protestant tradition, we really don't do statues and stuff. So this will seem really quite strange to us. You know, we don't like idols. We don't don't like things like that. So what was it that God wanted to communicate to his people through the raising of this stone? Well, to understand that properly, we need to know the sort of place that these people were living. Where we come from nowadays, we look around us and there are so many permanent buildings that have been there for years. All of us, for example, have seen the city hall. It's been there since before we were born and it seems it's been there forever and maybe it will be there forever. But when God's people were living in the land at this point. Most of them lived in tents. Most of them moved around, and there were very few permanent structures. So when God wanted to communicate to his people about something that was permanent, trustworthy, strong, immovable, 
he gave them the picture of a stone. And don't think it's a wee stone either. This will have been a large standing stone. Don't forget as well that these were the days when the lads did not drive telehandlers or have JCBs or any of those heavy lifting gear. So whenever you moved a stone like that, it would have taken a lot of effort and it would have stayed put. And so when Samuel raised that stone that day, that stone would have stood for years, generations. And the countryside around it would have changed through the seasons and through the weather and different things would have happened. But that stone would have stood there year after year after decade after decade after decade. And that stone of the help taught the people something about the nature of their God. That he was strong. He was trustworthy. He was immovable. They could build their lives on what he had given them and promised them. And that stone was like a visual aid for people to see. And it spoke of the nature of a God they could 100% totally, totally believe in and trust in. And that's the picture. A picture of a God that never changes. And actually, it's not the only time that this picture We see it in scripture. So whenever we look at, for example, Deuteronomy 32, God is described as the rock. His work is perfect and all his ways are just. Second Samuel 2 and 2 says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Again, pictures of strength, durability, trustworthiness, never changing. And then we've got this one in Psalm 18. David asks, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? And so Samuel raised this stone, a physical reminder, a visual aid, a permanent visual aid in the landscape to remind God's people about his help. And he says, at that point in time, thus far, the Lord has helped us. It was immovable, unchangeable. And people would see it and remember the victory that was won that day. Or here's the really cool thing. That stone that Samuel raised that day pointed forward into history. And with that basis of God being trustworthy, reliable, unchanging, it pointed forward to the coming of another stone, the living stone, Jesus. And when he came with his sacrifice on the cross and with all he did, he fulfilled all those Old Testament promises, all those Old Testament prophecies that had been written. And along with that stone that Samuel raised, every one of those pointed forward to what Jesus would do that he was trustworthy and true, that he was going to save us, that he was going to rescue his people. And the class thing is that now that he, he has come, all those other prophecies about him returning, glorious for his church and rescuing his people and bringing us home to glory, we can absolutely trustworthy believe in those promises because thus far the Lord has helped us. Jesus came and he's coming back. Amen. And we can have absolute, complete, 
Total assurance of that. Absolute assurance. Here's the thing, though. Samuel knew (laughs) that God's people would forget. And we forget, too. They had a history of forgetting. Do you remember whenever God rescued them? You know, Red Sea parted, parted it, rescued them from the, the Egyptians. And how much later was it that they were moaning about being hungry and thirsty and it would be better, better back there with the Egyptians? We tend to forget. And that's why that stone had to be raised. Because when things go wrong for us, Maybe even when we put things wrong for ourselves, we tend to think, oh, that just proves God doesn't really love me. Or that just proves that God's forgotten me. Or that just proves that God has fallen out with me because I sinned and I got that wrong. But when Samuel raised that stone that day, there is a long history of God's people falling and and changing and getting it wrong. But nonetheless, He had helped them to that point and he would come through for them in the end. And I want to encourage you today that perhaps you're sitting in this room this morning and thinking, God's forgotten me. Or or God doesn't love me because of the things I've done. Or he doesn't see my situation. Remember that he knows every detail of our lives. He brought them to the very point to to teach them a lesson. So he has you. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. So coming out of this story, I have three things that I want to suggest to you. And being a horrible English teacher, the first one is a practical assignment. Don't invite her back. So we have, I have a desperate memory. And when I think back over my life, I know that I don't remember every time my God has rescued me, he has come through for me, he has answered my promises. That's a terrible thing to admit, but I know I don't. And I'm sure if you look back over the history of your life with God, there are things that he has done for you that you've forgotten. So your practical assignment from today is this. I want all of us to start keeping a record of God's goodness to us, the days that he helps us win in battle, the days he answers our prayers, the days whenever he brings us victory. Can we start remembering those? And I'm not going to ask you to get a garden designer in to start raising stones up in your back garden. It can be much easier than that. Write it down. Put a note in your Bible. Stick it on your fridge. Use your phone if you're a technical person, which incidentally, again, I am not. But let's start raising Ebenezers that remind us of God's goodness and mercy and grace in our lives. And here's why we need to do it. There will come times in our lives when we will feel abandoned or afraid or frightened. And those are the days whenever we need to look back on our history with God, not just his history with his people, but our personal history with God and say, yes, Lord, you don't forget. Because I remember on this date, you did this for me. And then on this date, you do this for me. And every single one of those things that you remember are pointing you forward and upward 
upward to a God who does not change, who will never forsake you, never leave you, never let you down, and forward into a secure hope with him. So do not forget his goodness. We shared communion this morning. Jesus said, this do and remember me. He did it because he knows what we're like. Remember. Remember what he's done for you. Remember what he's done for us. And raise your Ebenezers because they will point you forward in the day of difficulty to the God who has helped you thus far and who will not let you go. Secondly, I imagine there are many in the congregation today, like Stephen and myself, who have prodigals in the family. The boy who I gave birth to, who wrecked my memory at the start, he's not walking with God at the minute. And we, we've tried to reach him by arguing with him. That never works. You've probably found that out already. But you know the one thing with our children that they can never argue with is our testimony. And when God has come into our lives and answered prayers and fought battles for us and come through, that is inarguable. We can spend all day talking about science and talking about sexuality and we can talk about all those things, but your children and grandchildren can never argue with the testimony. Why? Because it's being lived out in front of their eyes. And folks, I want to encourage you this morning, if you're feeling disheartened or afraid for your generations that are coming before you, raise your Ebenezers today. Raise them up and tell your children what God has done for you. Show them the places where he answered your prayer for a car parking position. It sounds daft, but the little things really matter. Say to them at the breakfast table, God answered the prayer today because I found my car keys or you're better or you passed your exams or he cured me or he sorted out my financial position. Raise your Ebenezers because part of the point of that Ebenezer stone when Samuel raised it was for the generations to come. Daddy, why is that big stone there? Well, son, I have a story to tell you. Oh, this is a good one. And it started in a bad place and there was defeat and bloodshed and shame. But you know what? We learned an important lesson there that we lay down our lives to the Lord and then he'll give us the victory. (sighs) Generations to come will see your Ebenezer stones and they will not be able to argue with the testimony that you have. So start raising those stones with your children and give God the glory. And he will answer your prayers as you pray for the prodigals that they will come home. And finally, Samuel says these incredible words. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. I don't know how you're feeling this morning. Um, Maybe you're on top of your game. You're in that hill, hill point place. You're victorious. You're strong in the Lord and you're just going for it. Maybe you're halfway up or halfway down that mountain. Or maybe, like those Israelites on the day of that first battle, maybe you just feel at the end of yourself. Maybe you feel exhausted, wounded, torn up, scattered, afraid. Maybe it's health. 
Maybe it's family. Maybe it's financial things. Maybe it's a combination of all of those and more. But let me tell you something. This morning at a quarter past 12 in this community center, you can sit on the seat where God has placed you this morning and take a deep breath and say, thus far, the Lord has helped me. It doesn't matter whether or not you feel as if you're in victory or not, because God has ordained this morning that you are here. He has ordained that you would be here. He has brought you thus far. And the class thing is that because he has brought you thus far, and you may be bruised and beaten, but you're still here and you're still walking, then we can say with absolute certainty this morning that our future is secure. Because that rock that is our God is unchangeable, immovable, perfect, trustworthy, and he's ours. And we can build our lives upon those. And in the same way that that stone that stood where Samuel raised it, the weather changed. Sometimes there were storms, there may have been floods, there would have been drought, there may have been frost, even on the odd occasion snow. But that rock stood immovable despite the storms and the weather that went around it. And despite the storms and weather that you're facing today, thus far, quarter past 12, you're in this Tully Carnot Community Centre. God has brought you here. And because he's got you here, he's going to bring you home. And I want to encourage you this morning that whatever the circumstances of your life, that that stone that Samuel raised, that pointed forward to the living stone that came to buy our salvation for us, that living stone will return in victory and will bring us home for his glory and for his honor. But it will be amazing. And I want you to know today that because you're here, and you can feel that seat behind you, and you can hear the whining of my voice in your ear, God has got you here, and he will get you home. And I want you to be encouraged in your heart and soul today, because he's never going to let you go. Do you know what it says? That he's written your name on the palms of his hands. He did that because your hands are the things that you see day and daily, and that's how much he remembers you and loves you. Before I close, maybe today um, you have not given your life over to the Lord Jesus and maybe you can really <laughs> resonate with these guys who were beaten and, and struggling. The difference that turning the heart over to God made for God's people was the difference between death and life. And unfortunately, guys, that's the same for us today. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus, can I encourage you today to make that step to get to know the living stone, the man who came and died on the cross so that you would have an eternity that's as sure as the one that I've spoken about. There is no better decision to make. And there is no more sound or perfect or trustworthy person to build your life upon. 
I wouldn't be standing here today if that was not the case. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that there is not a word in scripture that is a mistake and that does not point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, for this story that starts with defeat and starts with um, death and destruction and starts with the people who didn't want to know their God. But it's also a story about what happens whenever we bow the knee and come and say, Lord, we're sorry for our sins and we want a new future. And Father, I pray today for those who don't know you, Lord, that they will stake their claim on you, that they will put their, their hearts into your hands and their future into your hands. Lord, I pray for anyone today here who is feeling that uh, the storms around them are too heavy. And I pray that you would remind them, Lord, that you are the rock that cannot be moved, that you're certain, sure, and strong, and that they can build their lives in you. And Lord, I pray today that you'll help every one of us, Lord, with our memory. Help us, Lord, to raise our Ebenezer's daily as we remember your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Help us to point the next generation to the God who will never let us go. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us.